Good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, that didn't sound very good. Let's try it again. Okay, here we go. I hadn't said it yet. Good night. Okay, let's try that again. How's everybody doing today? That's a little better. Okay. I'm excited to be here as well. Um, uh, one, they pay me to. So, uh, but um, besides that, I, I really am excited to be here, uh, to be able to be a part of what God has in store for this place. Um, two things I say every week, I'll probably say it at the end as well, but I want you to know, I don't believe anybody's here by accident. I believe you're here because God brought you here. If he brought you here, I know he's got something for you. It may be something that was sung, maybe something that's said, it may be something that's in the message, but God's got something for you today. We just have to open our minds and our hearts to receive that. Second of all, if you're visiting with us, my challenge is always give us the next four to six weeks because I believe that's the only way you can really discover who we are as a church. And, I, and my prayer is that as you discover who we are, you'll begin to see that we're just a group of ordinary uh, people uh, who are struggling in their walk and have given their life to Jesus and we are saved by his grace. And we just want to go through life doing all we can for Him. And that's who we are. So I'm excited to be able to start this new series with you. Let's begin. Uh, there's a, one of my favorite stories. Uh, a, there was a trucker who was taking a load of uh, penguins to the local zoo. And he had about 50 penguins in the back of his truck. And as he was about 30, 40 miles out of town, his truck broke down. So he's along the side of the road, and he's waving down other truckers. Finally, this other trucker stops. He says, I'll tell you what, buddy, I'll give you $500 if you'll take these penguins the rest of the way to the zoo. 500 bucks. The guy goes, yeah, I'll do it. And so they loaded the penguins up into his truck, and off he went. The next day, the first truck driver got his truck fixed, and he heads into town, and as he's pulling into town... He sees at this stoplight, he sees that trucker, and he's walking across the crosswalk, and he's headed to the movie theater that's over on this side. And behind him are 50 penguins following him, single file, and they're headed towards that movie theater. He says, he's thinking to himself, what in the world is going on? So he pulls off, he gets out of his truck, he goes up to that trucker, and he says, look, buddy. I paid you $500 yesterday to take these penguins to the zoo. What's, what's the deal? And he said, yeah, I know. And he said, we had so much fun. I'm taking them to see Happy Feet today. <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that, okay? Um, now, obviously, that guy didn't fully understand what his purpose was, right? He, he didn't totally understand what he was supposed to do. Now, as crazy as it may seem, at times... I think we all struggle with finding and knowing our purpose, knowing what we're here on this planet to do. I think that deep down inside, I think we all want to be a part of something that's bigger, something that's just bigger than the status quo. We want to know that our lives are really honestly counting for something. A few years ago, Stanford University did a study to find out if people desired happiness or meaningfulness. And as they went through this study, even though there were connecting points between the two, 
This is what they discovered. They found that ultimately what people really wanted is a life of meaning and purpose. And that's why today we are starting this amazing series called Made for Mission. Made for Mission. And over the next six weeks, we're going to unlock the amazing truth that no matter what stage of life you are in, no matter what you do for a living, or what gifts or talents you may have, we are all made for mission. Every one of us, we're made for mission. Pray with me as we begin. Lord, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for all that you do and all that you have done. My prayer today is simply this, God. Speak to our hearts and open them up. And may we receive your words today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If somebody wants to get me a fresh water, this has actually been up here for a month. Uh, I really don't want to drink it. Oh, it's down here? Oh. Would somebody point me to the water that's in front of me that I don't see? Because I took my glasses off. (laughs) Too late now, man. It is too late now. As we get started today, I want you to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I would encourage you to bring your Bibles with you each week. Uh, If you don't have them, you can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 9. Today we're going to be reading about a guy named Matthew who discovered that he was created for more. In fact, he had a mission to accomplish in life. So here's what I want us to do as we begin today. I want to just kind of set the stage for you, and I want to look at the political and religious environment of Judea in the first century. One of the reasons is this, because I think knowing the backstory helps us to know the full story. So let's begin. During this time, the Romans had conquered almost everything at this point. And they had set up a capital city in a place called Caesarea. It was about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. Herod the Great built the city in honor of Caesar Augustus. Now, if you had lived during that time and you had taken your bolt out and you had docked at the port of Caesarea, one of the first important buildings you would come across would be a temple to Caesar Augustus. He was considered one of the Roman gods that they worshipped. Now, if you were a devout Jew during this time, this would be hard to take. It would be hard to take to know that the Romans are walking your streets, that they're worshipping false gods. It would be hard for you to take, hard for you to swallow. So out of their hatred for these outsiders, some of the devout religious leaders started a group called the Separated Ones. These leaders wanted to keep their hearts separate from the Romans for God. And just like their beliefs about certain foods, the Separated Ones came to believe that there were also clean and unclean people as well. Now, as you read through the ministry of Jesus you will not necessarily run into the term separated ones. But this term actually comes from a word that you will find. It's the word Pharisee. You see, the word Pharisee means separated one. It was the Pharisees who determined not to take part in Roman practices. 
They wanted their hearts to be separate from the Romans for their God. This is all part of the backstory that helps us to understand the story that we're going to read in Matthew 9. So let's begin reading in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 9. Here's what, it, here's what we read. When Jesus was leaving, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Jesus said to him, follow me. And get this, he stood up and followed Jesus. He stood up and followed Jesus. Now let me tell you, when Jesus stopped to talk with this tax, collect, tax collector, it set off some alarms. It set off some red flags in the minds of these Pharisees. Why? Because as we've said before, tax, collector, tax collectors were hated by the Jews. They were the Jews who had sold out their own people to the Romans in order to become very, very wealthy. You see, to be a tax collector, you basically had to get to the place where you didn't care anymore. And you didn't care. You didn't care about your reputation in the community. You didn't care if you broke your family's hearts. And you didn't care if your legalized extortion put you on the outside. You just didn't care. That's why tax collectors became part of what was considered the unclean. In fact, we could go back in time, and if you could just freeze frame this scene, and then you look out over the hundreds of people who were probably there, let me ask you, who would have been the last person you think Jesus would pick to be on his team that was going to change the world? The last person you would think would be Matthew. Why? Because he was unclean. He was a tax collector. He was hated by the Jews. He was a sinner. And yet Jesus picks him to be on your team. Anybody ever remember when I, like when I was growing up? And I mean, during the summers, and we were out in the parks, and we were out in the ball fields, and we were playing ball. And you know, you get these big group of guys all together. And what do you do? You pick two captains, and the captains what? Choose up teams. Let me tell you, Matthew wouldn't be the one you would pick on your team. And yet it's crazy. It's crazy to think that he's the one that Jesus picks to be a part of his team, to be a part of those who were going to change the world. And let me tell you, this didn't set well with the Pharisees, with the separated ones who were trying to keep their hearts separated to God and separate from the Romans. And let me tell you, it really messed with their head. But I believe Jesus is making a statement here. I believe he's revealing why he came to this planet. He doesn't care what others are going to say or what conventional wisdom says. He cares about reaching those, get this, that others have written off. Reaching those others have written off. Why? Because he loves them and that's the mission he was born to fulfill. So in this verse... He's letting Matthew know and he's letting us know that we were created for more than just the status quo. We were created for a mission. We have a mission to accomplish. One that will give us real purpose. One that will give us real meaning 
in our lives. Here's the first truth I want you to get. I want you to understand. I want you to write it down. And it's this. Like Matthew, you and I are called by God. Did you get that? We are called by God. God has chosen us to play a part in his mission. You're called. You're called. You're called. You're called. You're called. You're called. If you have surrendered your life and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are called. You are made for mission. J.D. Greer says, there's a widespread myth in the church that calling in the ministry is a secondary experience that happens to only a few Christians. Their job is to do the ministry and everyone else's job is just to show up and foot the bill. Few lies cripple the mission more than that. Each believer is called to leverage his or her life for the spread of the gospel. The question is no longer whether we are called only where and how. You and I are called by God. We are made for mission. So what does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. If you I'm sorry, what? No, seriously? Thank you. I didn't know what anybody was saying. I thought, what'd I do? Step in something or what? What's up here? Let me tell you what it means. If you're a business person today, maybe you're a fireman, you're a teacher, you're a doctor, you're a janitor, you're a student, you're a stay-at-home mom, or whatever you are. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are called. You're called. You have a mission. You were made for mission. God has given you gifts, and He has given you talents. He has given you abilities as a means of blessing others, and as a platform to use to spread His mission. Let me ask you, what would happen if you started seeing your job for what it is, a calling from God, rather than just something you do from nine to five? What if you saw it as a calling from God? Do you think it would change your life? How you deal with people, how you treat people? If you just saw it as a calling. But unfortunately, here's the problem, man. This is how most of us go through life. We get up in the morning, we take a shower, we get dressed. If you got kids, you get your kids ready for school, you get them breakfast. Then you go off to work and then you come home, you eat dinner, you put the kids to bed, you watch some TV, you go to bed yourself, then you get up the next day and you repeat the same process over and over and over again, day after day after day. But what if you realize that you were called? What if you realize that you were made for mission? Again, would that change how you live that daily part of your life? Sure it would. Because now you would wake up expecting God to show up throughout the day. Now you would spend some time with him in prayer and reading his word before you do anything so that you can listen for what he has for you. Now you don't just prepare your kids for school. Get this. Now you prepare them to live on mission as well. 
Now you go to work with your eyes wide open, looking for opportunities to join God in what he's doing in people's life. Well, let me tell you. I believe that every single day of your life, God brings people into your life who need a touch, who need loved, who need ministered to, who just need a word poured into their life. Some, someone who just wants to speak into their heart. I believe that God brings people into your life every single day. You know what the problem is? The problem is we don't see them because we're not expecting them. The problem is we don't see them because we're not praying for them. We're not praying for God in the morning. Say, God, give me those opportunities each and every day. That's why we don't see the forest for the trees. We're not expecting what God is wanting to do. But when you live on mission and you understand you're called, you will see those opportunities and they will be right in front of you. Now, from Matthew's point of view, He had to be shocked that Jesus not only approached him, but that Jesus also spoke into him. But it's also remarkable, I think, how Matthew reacted. I mean, think about this. He got up immediately with no questions asked. So it begs the question, why drop everything? Why drop everything? After all, during this time period, 90% of Israel was living under the poverty line. And Matthew was a pretty wealthy guy because he was a tax collector. And on top of that, Jesus' invitation was a bit vague, right? Jesus just said, come and follow me. He didn't say, follow me where or where, we're, you know, where we were going, what we were going to do. Didn't say that. It was just a little vague. So why drop everything? Well, look at something with me, if you would. And that is the very first words of verse 9 again. Because this is what verse 9 opens with. When Jesus was leaving. Okay, leaving what? And leaving from where? You see, whatever happened just before Matthew's calling, Matthew probably had seen. So what had happened? Well, Jesus had just healed a man who had been paralyzed. But, not, but more important than the healing was this. Jesus spoke into that man and said, your sins are forgiven. So maybe the question that's racing through Matthew's mind was this. Could Jesus also forgive me of my sin and my shame? And so when Jesus called, he got up and he followed Brings me to my second truth, and it's just this. Like Matthew, in order to accept Jesus' invitation to follow him, we must stop sitting on the sidelines and we have to get up and get in the game. You gotta get in the game. What did Jesus call Matthew's? What did Jesus call on Matthew's life require? It required movement, right? He had to get up. He had to make a conscious decision to follow Jesus. He couldn't just stay in his seat and follow. He had to get up. And follow. And the moment he took his first step of faith, he was on mission. He was on mission. And the same is true for us. 
God is calling us to get off the sidelines and to get in the game. And let me tell you, it will require you to consciously get up and follow, even if it's a bit uncomfortable. And here's the crazy thing. Look what this new follower does when he gets up. When he gets in the game, you know what he does? He throws a dinner party. And not only does he invite Jesus, but more importantly, he invites all of his sinner friends. He doesn't use the excuse that, hey man, I'm new to this faith and um, I really got to learn a lot more before I can really follow Jesus. You know, I need to study more, I got to learn more, I need to go to this class, this class, this class. He didn't use that excuse. He didn't use the excuse, well, you know, a lot of that has, you know, that's for the paid help. They can do those things. He didn't use those excuses. No excuses. He understood the most important thing, and it was this. He had met someone who had changed his life, forgiven his sin, and that was too amazing to keep to himself. Look at verse 10. As Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his followers. I mean, I can just imagine that after getting all those invitations out to his fellow sinners, that he probably ran home, threw a couple camel steaks on the grill, baked some potatoes up. He got everything ready for his dinner party. Now, Matthew probably had had friends over to his house before, but this dinner was going to be different, right? It's going to be different. Why? Because before, he was just Matthew, the tax collector, another sinner, but now he's Matthew, the follower of Jesus. His ability to throw a dinner party was now being used for the mission of God. Here's the thing, so many times we have this fear that if I put my faith in Jesus, that somehow I'm going to have to follow him to Africa or Antarctica, you know. I mean, we have that fear inside of us. Now, let me tell you, at some point, yeah, that could happen maybe after, after Jesus works on your heart. But the majority of times, you know what God says? God says, let's just start right where you are. Let's just start right where you are. We're going to start in your house. We're going to start in your neighborhood. We're going to start at your school. We're going to start in your place of employment. That's where we're going to start. Don't worry about Africa. Don't worry about Antarctica. Let's just start right where you are. You see, your mission always begins right where you're at. And when you begin to live that out, let me tell you, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. This brings me to my third truth, and simply this. Like Matthew, when you honestly surrender your life to Jesus and you start following him, he will start to change the way you see and do life. He's going to change how you see and do life. In fact, he will change how you use your resources. He'll change that. Let me tell you, God has blessed us with stuff that can be used for mission. Think about it. Matthew used his house and his food to be on mission right from the get-go. And the same is true for us. When you truly follow Jesus, you'll look at your finances differently. You'll look at your possessions differently. Now they will become a resource for mission to happen in your life. Let me give you a couple examples. This one? Okay. 
My third year, my third year at the Journey up in Northern Virginia. Oh, thanks. You thirsty? <laughs> my third year up at the Journey in, in Northern Virginia had a young couple come to me after church. I always loved the kid them because they're, it was Mary and Joseph. <laughs> yeah, seriously, as a, that was their name. They were Korean, but they were Mary and Joseph. So they were the Korean Mary and Joseph. Um, and they came to me and they just said, hey, we, we feel God is working on our hearts and, and we have a passion to help people who maybe doesn't, don't, ha- don't have enough food. And would you mind if we started a garden out on your property at the church? I said, hey, if that's your passion, go for it. And we'll do what we can to promote it and help you, but you can do that. So they used their own money, their own resources, and they began a ministry of a garden to provide fresh vegetables for the local food bank. Now, over the time I was there, over the next six years, that ministry grew to the point where when I left, we were giving 1,800 pounds of fresh vegetables to the local food bank every single summer and fall. Why? Because a young couple decided they needed to start a ministry to provide food for people who didn't have it. And they used their own resources to do it. Let me give you another example. One of my elders, Gary, his wife, Carol. Gary was retired Navy. He was working at the Navy Yard. Carol worked for Homeland Security. So they had great jobs. They had great retirement. But they were also incredibly gifted when it came to giving and meeting the needs around them. They understood that they lived a life of mission and on mission. They had just bought a brand new Hyundai Elantra and uh, paid cash for it, brand new. They'd only had the car about three months when they learned of a young couple in our church that had five kids. They already had a van, so the kids were kind of taken care of that way, but the husband's car to get to work had broken down and they couldn't afford to get another car. You know what they did? They went over to their house one night, they had supper with them. And after supper, they pulled out the title and they wrote it. They signed the title over to that couple. That's what it means to live on mission. That's how God changes how we view and use our resources. Now, not everybody can do that. They had been blessed. But they used their blessings to bless others. So he'll change how we use our resources. Secondly, he will change how you see your relationships. Let me ask you, what did Matthew hope to gain by having this dinner party with Jesus and his sinner friends? I mean, what did he hope to gain? I believe that he was faced with the reality that he was probably the best chance his friends would ever have of meeting Jesus, and he wasn't going to waste that opportunity. Here's the thing. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you not only decide to follow him, but you decide to join him in a life on mission. And when you do, you will also begin to realize, get this, that none of your friendships or or none of your acquaintances, none of those are by accident. 
They're not by accident. Why? Because God has placed them in your life and He just wants you to share what He has done for you so that it can hopefully happen to them. So let me ask you, if you could throw a Matthew party, who would you invite? Who would you invite to your Matthew party? Who are you investing your time and resources in? And so he changes how we view our resources, he changes how we view our relationships, and he will change how you respond to critics. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' followers, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, let me tell you, it's crazy to think that the Pharisees are there as well. I don't know if they actually made their way in the house or if they're just standing on the outside looking in. I don't, I don't know. But I bet they're thinking, what in the world are we doing at a tax collector's home? I mean, after all, the Pharisees were the rule keepers. They were the ones who were considered clean. They were the cool kids on the block. But the tax collectors were unclean. They were at the bottom of the totem pole. But now... As far as Matthew's concerned, none of that matters. Why? Because one afternoon of following Jesus and everything changed. Now Matthew didn't care about listening to the critics. He didn't care about those who said he wasn't good enough, that he was unclean, that he was a sinner. He just cared about listening to Jesus who makes us good enough. Here's the thing. You were not made to fit in. You were not made to conform. You were made to stand out. And because of that, you will be put down and you will be criticized by those who don't understand. But when you live a life on mission, you're not living for the approval of man. You are living for the approval of God. It'll change how you view your critics and how you respond to them. Now Jesus closes out this section by letting them know that he was also made for a mission. Before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb, he had a mission to accomplish. Look at verses 12 and 13. When Jesus heard them, he said, it is not the healthy people who need a doctor, but the sick. Then this is interesting. Look at this. Go and learn what this means. He's addressing the Pharisees now. Go and learn what this means. I want kindness more than I want animal sacrifices. And then he says, I did not come to invite good people, but to invite sinners. His mission was to seek those who were spiritually unhealthy, those who were lost because of their sin, just like those tax collectors and just like you and I. And as he invited Matthew to follow him in his mission, he is also inviting us. But in order for us to honestly live that mission out, we have to change the way we treat people. In verse 13 here, Jesus has given the Pharisees a little bit of a homework assignment. You see, he's quoting from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. And this is what Hosea says. I want faithful love more than I want animal sacrifices. I want people to know me more than I want burnt offerings. You see, in the day of Hosea, the people were heavy on religious tradition and they were very short on love. They went to the temple, they offered all kinds of sacrifices, but they did not show love. They did not show kindness. They did not show mercy to the people around them. 
God says that he would rather them show love and kindness than to do the work of rituals and traditions. And so when Jesus quotes that part of Hosea, the Pharisees knew what he meant. He basically meant this. He meant, look guys, stop just studying the scriptures to study the scriptures and start living out what you're reading. Start putting it into practice. We don't study just to become smart. We don't study so we can just learn more and more and more. We study so that we can live it out through our lives. The Pharisees had what I would call, and I've used this term before, but they had what I would call spiritual constipation. Okay? Spiritual constipation is where you take in and you take in and you take in, but you never give out. And after a while, that really hurts. All right? They took in the scriptures, but they never put it out. And here's the ugly truth that we don't want to hear. In a lot of ways, some of us may be no different than the Pharisees. We come to church, we do the religious stuff. We may even serve somewhere in the church, but the love and the kindness and the mercy that we need to be showing to those who are lost somehow just escapes us. You see, living out our mission begins with a heart that literally breaks for the spiritually unhealthy. For those who are lost, who are dying in a life of sin. And it continues as we allow that brokenness to lead us into a life of love, into a life of kindness, into a life of grace, into a life of mercy. And when that happens, living a life that's made for mission will be a natural expression of someone who is honestly following Jesus. Now let's reflect. This ex-tax collector turned follower, Matthew, you probably knew this, but he wrote this gospel. He wrote the gospel. Now think about how crazy that sounds. This ex-tax collector turned follower wrote the gospel of Matthew. And here's the thing. Because he chose to follow, millions have found Jesus through this gospel. Millions have found Jesus through this gospel. And I say that for this reason. And it's because you may have no idea the impact Jesus wants to make in and through your life. You may not even realize the impact Jesus wants to make in and through you. To use you as a vessel to reach people. As we close, I want to show you a clip from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Some of you may have seen this movie. It takes place during World War II, and the main character is a medic who refuses to carry a weapon because of his spiritual beliefs. Now, his battalion is pretty much left for dead up on a ridge, and everyone else retreats except him. Let's check it out. You and I, you and I have been called by God. If you've given your life to Christ, you've been called. And you have a mission. What if every one of us simply said those words that he said every time? One more. Just one more. 
Here's what I want you to pray. Pray this prayer. Jesus, would you use me to reach just one more? Just one more person for you. Just one more person for you. Let me tell you, if we did that, we would double in size in a week. And it's not about doubling in size. You know what it's about? It's about impacting people's lives for Christ. That's what it's about. Just one more, Jesus. Just one more. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for this time. And God, help us. Just help us, Lord. To understand that we've been called that we were on mission. And just like Matthew, we just need to get up and follow you. To begin to use the, the things that you've given us to begin to see those relationships that, not, that are not an accident, that are a part of us because you've brought those people into our lives. God, help us to see people the way you see them. Help our heart to break for people who are unhealthy and lost because of sin. Just one more, Lord. Just one more. It's in your name we pray, amen.